Hello and welcome to Making Creativity Pay, the podcast where we talk to people in creative industries about how they promote and market their work. I'm Dan Barnett and on this episode we'll be speaking to Zena and Michelle, founders of the Camden Fringe. We'll also be talking about their Camden Fringe podcast, which is a great resource where they speak to performers and others in the industry about all areas from marketing, PR, as well as tips on writing a show. We talk about how the Camden Fringe came about, how it differs to the Edinburgh Fringe and have loads of advice for anyone looking to put a show on at the festival. We started out by talking about how the Camden Fringe got started. Hello, I'm Zena, one of the Camden Fringe founders, and we, well, we both still, we've been both running it together now for 17 years, and we we started it off because we were running a venue in Camden at the time, and it seemed like a good way of filling the venue up during August when it was quite hard to get bookings. Now we've got 300 events on for this year, which is about as big as we ever wanted to be, unless we grow some extra hands and brains. Hello, I'm Michelle. I'm the other half of the Camden Fringe. And the Camden Fringe will be running this year from the 31st of July to the 27th of August, 2023. I was looking on the site this morning. It's 315 events now, so I think it's it's still it's still growing, I guess. I think, yeah, I think three of those listed might have been cancelled, but it it is still, we have still registered, I think, five more shows in the last 24 hours. So people are leaving it till the last minute. There's there's a few, there's a few more sort of fiddling around, but we're, we're sort of almost at the the top of that it's going to be. Do you almost see it kind of expanding beyond Camden or, I mean, is, is it enough to kind of manage as, as it is without taking over, you know, the whole of North London or whatever? I mean, we have already slightly pushed the boundaries of the borough of Camden so we have a couple of venues that are in Islington we have a couple of venues that are in the West End but I think technically they are within the borough of Camden and yes we have the Canal Cafe which is out towards the West but yeah we don't really want it to be too much bigger it's we've always said that the venue should stay close to Camden and be within easy access of Camden Town so be that by bus or canal boat Within that region, do you get much support from Camden Council or other art organisations? No, we're pretty freewheeling when it comes to the financing and the support. Camden Council engaged with us maybe about 15 years ago for a short while and then that person left the council and then after that they they weren't really interested. I think councils have just been cut to the bone, haven't they? So there's perhaps nobody there that's left that's allowed to want to do anything interesting so with 300 plus events how do you go about promoting that i I know you use twitter an awful lot how have you seen twitter change in the last few months it's kind of to some extent gone down the toilet in my opinion i don't know whether you've seen the same yeah i suspect twitter won't be around next year when we come to start promoting the fringe which is a real shame because that's been the platform that historically we've been able to use because you with so many shows it's where you can really bombard people with an individual tweet about each show because with 300 shows that's a that's a lot of tweets and we tend to tweet about them more than once you know maybe two or three times but you can't do that on instagram or facebook because that would just be too much information but yeah i think twitter really has had its day certainly we ask everybody who applies for their social media handles and twitter was used to be kind of one of the big ones but now you know i think 50 percent of the acts have twitter 50 percent have abandoned them and it's definitely less engagement with our tweets this year than we have had in previous years where do you see the camden fringe fitting in 
with the, the wider show calendar. I know some people are kind of using it as a kind of work in progress and then going to Edinburgh. Some are doing it instead. Do you kind of see, you know, it, it kind of fits, it, it kind of covers multiple areas, really? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously we happen at the same time as Edinburgh, which was deliberate because that was when London was quiet and venues needed the shows to fill because although lots of performing people go up to Edinburgh, lots of people don't. And, you know, the population of London doesn't just disappear in the summer because Edinburgh's on. There's still plenty of people around. So, yeah, I mean, people can use it as a way of doing a bit of performing in Edim- in sorry in London and then going up to Edinburgh. Or, you know, we really like to think of ourselves as a nice sort of friendly, easy, less pressure option for people who want to put on a show but aren't quite feeling up for doing Edinburgh yet and they can come and try it out this summer with us make some mistakes learn a few things and then next year take that on to go to do edinburgh or some people just aren't interested in going to edinburgh at all are you seeing more of that over time that people are saying i want to do say four or five shows at the camden fringe instead of maybe where in the past they just do one or two nights so they're almost kind of doing an extended run i don't think that's changed what do you think, Zena? No, I was going to say, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's changed. There's always, there's always a mix of things. I think definitely because Edinburgh has got more and more expensive over the years. I think people are looking for other options more and more. So they might do a few days in Camden, a few days in Brighton, Buxton, and they're looking, you know, and also over the last sort of 10, 15 years, so many festivals have popped up all over the UK. You could do like a little tour of festivals possibly culminating in a very short run in Edinburgh or not bothering to go there at all. And with the other festivals, do you have much interaction with them? Is is there kind of a collegiate atmosphere or are they all very much separate? We do, we do have a little bit of interaction with the other festivals. Here and there, there's the thing called the World Fringe Network. So with that, there's you know we have a WhatsApp group of fringes around the world of all the fringe managers sort of asking advice about various things like for example when covid happened and there was this question of oh what we're going to do about going online there's a lot of communication then about different ways that people were trying to sort of get around it and work out how to put on an alternative thing so there is a lot of chat and i don't think i don't think anyone feels like they're in competition with each other in any way no this week we also had world fringe day on Tuesday the 11th which was a big celebration of all the fringes across the world and we're all kind of supporting each other and promoting each other and it's you know it's quite nice really nice to be in a little gang. How have you seen the Camden Fringe change obviously it's kind of grown over years how your thoughts we'll talk mainly about Camden Fringe but you know obviously the Edinburgh Fringe is this big beast that hangs over pretty much most of the art scene for August and beyond how do you see things going over the next few years do you think there will be a tipping point or will it just be a slow decline for the likes of Edinburgh it's so difficult to say because I first went to Edinburgh in the early 90s and I was very very young and actually I was genuinely quite young and even then people were like, oh, there's too many posters, there's too much competition, you know, that it was felt like there's too many big venues, there's too many big names doing it. And that's still the same complaints that are going on now. I think obviously the big thing that's changed in the last couple of years is the accommodation issue where there really just is a lack of decently priced places for people to stay in the city. But, you know, I think it's, begin, it's just 
that thing which is so big and successful that people are always going to moan about it. But that's part of the fun of doing it, probably, is having a right good moan about how it's all changed and it wasn't as good as it used to be. But, you know, that's been going on for 70 years. I always bob up right at the, at the end and I, I just absolutely love it and will always love it, even though it's really expensive and they everything all the all the food outlets around the city you know charge a double whatever for august but it's still a brilliant place to be i think edinburgh i don't think it's gonna implode i think hopefully they'll just make improvements every year i mean yeah last year everyone was so negative about it i was like next year's gonna be our year for the camden fringe everyone's gonna come and do camden and then slowly as the months go on you see everyone i'm going to edinburgh for these dates and you're like yeah everyone goes back like a dog returning to its own sit i think that's a Stuart lee line so within the camden fringe you you don't have a a free everything minimum ticket price is five pounds good value especially at london prices do you kind of see that change or is that very much a you don't think a a free element would work no i think free the problem with free tickets is it's a bit of an unknown quantity isn't it if you get people to book them in advance they're quite flaky because they haven't paid for that so if i don't i'll book the tickets if i turn up i turn up if i don't i don't I also think people need to invest in the show slightly, even if it is only £5. If you've gone to something and you've paid a bit of money, I think your mind is open to being entertained. If you've gone and it's free, you might be a bit like, well, come on then, entertain me. I think you need kind of, I think it's important for people to pay for arts and things. For artists marketing their shows, is is there much offline, so real world effectively, so, you know, flyering and things like that around Camden, or is is it generally online certainly camden is i think one of the few places in london other than the west end where you actually can flyer because there is enough footfall there's enough people doing weird stuff that you can kind of get their attention if you're actually in camden town but i do feel like that that's really changed since we started that flyering is much less effective than doing online campaigns but we still this year we have produced a physical brochure which we've had printed and distributed and I don't it'd be interesting to see if that makes a difference to ticket sales but I suspect it won't but I think it is a nice thing for the venues to have and it's a nice thing for the acts to have so that you know it shows that there's something happened and they can give it to their mum and I think yeah the venues in particular last year when I was visiting venues during the fringe they were like we missed the brochure it wasn't you know it's nice to be able to throw it at someone and say this is what's happening have a look see if there's something you fancy yeah it makes it real if it's a physical thing yeah I think you need to have a very good app to replace it, which is not something we have at the moment. And, and sales-wise, is it generally a big rush in the, the day or two before an act, or, or is it, it is? I guess you're not. Absolutely, it. yeah. I, I was. I sent actually all the acts a picture of last year's graph of what the sales were, and. You, it very obviously really kicked off about three days before the festival started and only tailed off on the last day. But up until that, it's a very sort of slow incline. And then, yeah, most of the sales are while the festival's on. So people aren't. I think certainly COVID made people less keen to book things massively in advance because so many plans got changed. Everything was all very uncertain. So people were just like, I'll book book on the day, book on the door. And I, maybe that has changed a bit now. People have got back into the rhythm of making plans. But yeah, we've always seen that the majority of sales are two to three days before a show 
happens obviously that's really difficult if you're a performer because you could be looking a week out from your show going no one's booked no one's going to see and you do get the odd person going I'm just going to cancel it like a week before and you think well that's a real shame because you probably would have sold some tickets on the day and we had one show actually last year who I think they were booked in for three performances one of them hadn't sold very well so a week out he decided to cancel that one performance and then the others sold out and then he ended up putting on an extra performance at the end of the festival because loads of his friends couldn't get in and it was because they hadn't held their nerve and just sort of stuck with the original plan. So do you think we'll have riots or train strikes this year? Oh, a volcano. Do you remember there was a flash flood last year, wasn't there? And someone actually couldn't get to their show because they're on the wrong side of London. I know uh, Richard Heron talks about his podcast in Leicester Square. He's, I think, found that you know, post-COVID, it, there's a bit more difficulty in, in shifting tickets. And I think, you know, you, you look at the kind of the footfall at, at tube stations, you know, Monday and Friday are an awful lot less than they used to be. You know, his, his show's on a Monday night. I mean, do, do you think there'll be something similar with yours that, you know, there'll be more difficulty certain days of the week than others? Don't know. That's the honest answer to that one. Certainly the year, two years ago, when we did the show for the first time post Show, sorry, when we did the festival for the first time post COVID, and it only was like three weeks after all the restrictions had been lifted that we were definitely sure we would be able to go ahead. So it had been a bit of a, you know, we were organising it all going, this could all go to pot, this is going to end up in the bin, we're not going to be able to do it. But actually, we were able to do it. And that was our busiest year in terms of audiences I think is that right Zena you're the figures person because I think people were just really keen to get out and do stuff and it had been the first time for a year and a half they'd been able to so do you, do you um, think that people working from home means they're not out and about in London and not necessarily thinking oh I've just come out of the office I'll just go and see a fringe show before I go home yeah I, I think there'll definitely be an element of that me, me personally example, you know, if I was working in London yeah, you might go after work whereas where I am now I mean, I'm you know, 40 minutes into Houston but 15 quid for the train it's, it's you know, an hour Hour, hour and a half each way and you can it, it makes it's it's a it's an extra barrier as an example you know whereas like you said yeah if if you were just working in an office on the monday evening shows at seven go see the show and then go home and so you know your train fare's already paid for so it's already done so it's it's a it's a different kind of mindset effect effectively you know you, you're having to sell not just the show but the whole kind of thing of going in into london and and everything else. There's still plenty of people who work in London, I think. I think it's easy as someone who works in an office to think that, or works from home, thinks that loads of people are doing hybrid working. But obviously there's thousands of professions that can't possibly work from home. They're working in shops, they're working in hospitals, they're cleaning, they're, you know, presenting a radio show or whatever. You know, they, they still have to go into the city and move around they're still available to see a fringe show do you work with the artist on ticket pricing and pricing levels do you have kind of suggested areas or is that just all up to them well we, we have sort of suggested levels but we do encourage them to rather than pluck a figure out of thin air to try and actually make a budget for their show and work out what they need to charge in order to make it into a successful production whether they all do that or not whether they I ain't gonna say they don't I don't I think I think a few of them might might do that but I I suspect suspect not but you know we do try and we say sort of between five and twenty pounds depending on obviously the you know cost of your venue how many people in the show what sort of quality you're providing so yeah we have like a a two-hour opera on upstairs at the gatehouse that's worth 20 pounds of anybody's money i'm sure it's an opera it's got a big cast it's you know it's a long show a half an hour of a spoken word show in a pub back room 
is probably only worth five pounds. But you've got to kind of be realistic. I think that it'd be interesting to see with the obviously the cost of cost of living, cost of going out for a, a, a drink, things like that has gone quite crazy. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects things, really. You've got your podcast of your own, Camden Fringe Podcast, where you've been talking to you know both acts and people in the kind of marketing, the PR side. How have you found the experience of, of doing the podcast and speaking to people about about the different areas? Well, we've had a lovely time. We you know we've we've known lots of people from years and years of doing fringy stuff that we've been able to con into coming and doing it. And for us, it was a way of trying to make the boring information about putting on a fringe show a bit more digestible because we provide written guides for people and we were finding people weren't reading it. So we thought we'd put it in a podcast form. Don't just take our word for it. Take some expert uh, sorry, expert advice on it. And it's just given us another way for people to ignore us. Really. <laughs> but, you know, we're trying to help the shows. Yeah, It's something when it's there, it's not just for this year. It's, it's the kind of thing that you can go back, that people can go back to again and again and, and take things from it. Yeah, it's a resource. From your from your chats, is there any particular bit of advice that you think has stood out, or think, oh yeah, that's a, that's a really good thing. I didn't really think of that, or you know, something that was you know a bit different. Hmm. I mean, we really like the advice that reinforces everything we already thought. But I think I enjoyed talking to. We spoke to Stephen Smith, who was one of the acts who performed last year, and he was talking about doing social media. And he was saying you have to be relentless but never repetitive. I think that's what he said, something like that. But he was just. Yeah, talking about how you have to keep putting content out there, but you need to make it a bit different, which is good. It was really useful talking to Rob from Everything Theatre because he is a press person. He's the person who's receiving press releases and press requests. And so that I thought was really useful. He was sort of saying, actually do send follow-up emails because I'm a bit like, don't harass the press. But he was a bit like, you kind of do have to harass us a bit. So that was useful advice, I think. I thought Andrew Collier, when he talked about, you know, when, It's just such a simple thing, but but people set up social media accounts for their particular show that they're doing. And he was saying, don't do that. Set up, if you're going to set it up, set it up for your, your, in your name or in your company's name so that you're building on it. It's something you can build year on year and then people can find you again next year rather than just starting from scratch because lots of people will put you know make up a play called like the michelle sexy show and she's got twitter thing and it's the sexy michelle at at hashtag sexymichelle.com you do have that account and and there's only she's only got 13 followers (laughs) yeah don't have disposable accounts try and have one that you build on and you you know you put all your heart and soul into Thanks for listening. In the show notes, there's more details about the festival, which runs from 31st of July to the 27th of August in Camden and beyond, as well as details of their podcast. If you enjoyed this, check out our other episodes where we speak to a number of performers about their experiences at festivals, as well as with creatives and other industries about making creativity pay.